Well, I've already looked at my watch, and I know all of you have. I know that. I already know. You know what time it is, and I know what time it is. Friday, I got word that I would be preaching today. Mac Ray didn't get that message. <laughs> Doug didn't get that message. We have had wonderful words of encouragement from prayer leaders and communion leaders this morning, and I'm not knocking that. That's great. That's a good thing. But if you think I'm going to let you off, you're wrong. <laughs> we need also another word from the Lord this morning, and uh, Grady would not, could not be here today for health reasons, and so let's keep him in our prayers. He will be returning shortly, I'm sure. Uh, Grady and I continue to rotate this uh, pulpit. Uh, maybe that's a good word for those of us who are short and stubby. Now, you need, need to know, in case you're visiting today, I am not Grady King, even though it says that in the bulletin. I'm the bearded one. I'm John, and Grady is the clean-shaven one. You know, he's the sarcastic humorist that fills this pulpit from time to time, the comedian, and I'm the diplomat, I'm the dignified academic one, okay? So I, I just want you, to, I want you to keep that all in mind so that you don't get the two of us confused. But I will tell you this, I wouldn't miss a Sunday the next few weeks because I think that uh, we're going to get an answer to our prayers and I uh, just want to encourage you to keep praying about our new minister. And uh, when that time comes, and it should be shortly, uh, I think we're going to all recognize that God has answered our prayers and God is going to bless this church immensely in great ways when our new minister and family comes to be a part of this church. So thank you for your prayers and for your patience. And I will say on behalf of Grady and myself, thank you also for the encouraging words that you have spoken to us uh, separately and that you have shared with us uh, at times when Grady and I were standing together. Uh, even though you may have thought you were talking to John and you were talking to Grady or you were talking to Grady and you thought you were talking to John, but it doesn't make any difference. We have, I think, made a pretty good Mutt and Jeff team of preaching the word from this pulpit, and uh, we have been grateful for that experience. To me, the, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, and specifically in the New Testament, is Acts chapter 2. And we dare not get far from Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read a portion of that chapter this morning and make a few brief comments. The first part of Acts chapter 2 reminds us that a great day is about to take place. It is going to be a happening event like the world has never known. Perhaps the only other day that will even compare to the day of Acts chapter 2 will be the day the Lord comes back. Because on this day, the church of Jesus Christ really had its beginning. It was a birthday celebration, and it was a wonderful time for the church to begin. It was the Pentecost following the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And a large group of people had gathered uh, in Jerusalem. Some had even stayed over from Passover. Uh, 
It's estimated that Jerusalem in the time of the first century was probably a city, a town, a village, not much larger than Paris, Texas. Maybe about 25,000 people lived within the confines of the walls of Jerusalem in the early part of the first century. But on these uh, Jewish feast days, thousands if not tens of thousands of Jews from all over the Mediterranean world would take their pilgrimage to Jerusalem and it's estimated that on Pentecost there would be upwards to two or three hundred thousand visitors in town. And so when Peter stood up to preach to this large multitude of people, I'm not saying all were within distance of hearing what he said, but there were thousands of people that had gathered in this area around the temple. And Peter was the one who had been tapped on the shoulder by God to say, Peter, you stand up and you tell these people about Jesus. And you use these keys of the kingdom that Christ gave you to open up the doors to the body of Christ the church. And in Acts 2, beginning in verse 14, just listen and think about this large gathering of people. Folks on the outskirts probably doing everything they can to hear every word that the Apostle Peter has to say. And so Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, he raised his voice and he declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. These men are not drunk as you suppose. And the wonder that some people had was, how can we hear what these men are saying in our own language? And if you'll look back earlier, there's 15 or 16 different dialects that could have been represented. These are not ecstatic utterances that these men are speaking. They are speaking words about Jesus so that everyone present could hear what was being said. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Peter takes his text from the second chapter of the Old Testament prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the text Peter read. That's the passage that he goes back to several hundred years before and says, God has been telling us this is going to happen. And here is how it happens. And so Peter begins now to explain and to give his message about Jesus. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles 
and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And now Peter makes reference to the 16th chapter of Psalms. And he quotes this passage from David, the great king. For David says of him, David is speaking of Christ, not of himself. David says of him, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. And therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will abide in hope. Because thou wilt not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, and thou wilt make me full of gladness with thy presence. And there's the quote. And here's the explanation. Brethren, Peter says, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried. And I can see Peter doing this from the, from the, the holy temple, the mount of the holy temple. He said, and this David who both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet, and he knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants upon his throne, David looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. And now again, Peter says, this Jesus, God raised up again to which we are all witnesses, and therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this, this which you both see and hear. God's behind all of this. God promised and prophesied it was going to take place. And God has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. And there's Peter's explanation of who Jesus is, who he was, what God did through him. And even though he was killed, he never stayed in the grave more than three days because God raised him up. Therefore, and any time the preacher says, therefore, any time the Bible says, therefore, you need to ask, what's it there for? And here it is. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. I'll tell you, it's as if 
in the reading of this, I could just see Peter. I could hear him. I could feel the emotion within his voice. I could sense the excitement he had and probably some fear and trembling that was associated with the fact that he was standing in the midst of people and he not only accused them, he said, you are guilty of putting this Jesus to death on the cross. This Jesus, this one and only Jesus, whom God has made both Lord and Christ. Now we've heard these other words over and over again. Listen to them as if you were hearing them for the first time. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. And here's the response. And with many other words, and ever preachers found courage in that, you've got to talk a little bit more. You've got to say a little bit more. And with many other words, Peter solemnly testified, and he kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then... Those who had received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who believed were together and had all things common and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Can I get an amen? I'll tell you, that has to be one of the most powerful sections of scripture. That, folks, is the day the church began. That's our birthday. That's the day we can celebrate all of these years and centuries later, and that's how it happened. Scriptures recorded it. The Holy Spirit inspired it. I believe what Peter said, don't you? I'll tell you, it was an exciting thing. And I, I never get tired of reading this passage. But when I read this passage, I have to wade through so much of what has happened since then. I have to clear out so much stuff that seems to have muddied the water and gotten the picture out of focus. Because in our 21st century world, Church has become so complicated, so complicated. You know, in order for a church to be a church in our day, it has to have multiple ministries that 
I mean, everything for the kids of all ages, everything, whatever you need for the women, whatever you need for the men, whatever you need for families. I mean, we have just become so oriented to needs and things of that nature. I'm afraid that we have lost focus of the real purpose and mission of the church. Now, don't get me wrong. I know the church has always, and in this passage it talks about how they helped each other so that there wasn't a need among them. That's a powerful statement about the fellowship and the strength of that local church, that first church, that mother church in Jerusalem. But you've got to get right down to the core of all of this and see what really made church church. All the peripheral things that we might have involved in ministries and committees and, and things that happen in a large congregation, if we're not careful, we can lose sight that if we're, not, if we're doing anything that is not designed to help bring people to Jesus, we're missing the mark. Listen to that. Anything that we're doing in the life of this church, if the primary purpose is not to help people come to know Jesus, we're missing the mark. We are, the sign says, the church of Christ. But in our day and time, because there are so many needs and because so many of the needs are going unmet in our homes, our families, our communities, and relationships with people are breaking down right and left, the church has become the very place where we try to fix everything. The real thing that needs to be fixed, people's souls, people's relationship with Jesus. If we're not careful, what's happening down at the church is nothing more than a social service headquarters. We need to make sure that we stay on a spiritual level and we understand our calling. Because there is no other institution, organization, group, whatever you want to call it, on the face of this earth that's been charged with the commission that God has given to his church. Amen? And listen to this. Here's a few things that just pop up off the page as I've read this section from Acts chapter 2. Number one, the New Testament church always talked about Jesus. They talked about Jesus. It wasn't just a preacher who was talking about Jesus. The people are talking about Jesus. On this day, following this great event, don't you know that the whole world, as far as Jerusalem was concerned, was talking about Jesus. This man Peter told us about, this man, some of us, witnessed die on a cross outside our city gate. This man who lived in our midst and some of us ate the loaves and the fishes that were miraculously provided by this man, Jesus of Nazareth. This man that befounded and, and, and bewildered many of us because we couldn't figure out, is he really real? This man... God has done all of this work in our midst through Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter tells us that this is the man who about 
a month and a half ago, came forth from a grave to never die again. And God made him Lord in Christ. Don't you know that the whole town of Jerusalem was talking about Jesus? And so the New Testament church, that was the voice of Jesus. And we still are his voice today. We need to tell people about Jesus. We need to tell him tell him exactly what Peter told about Jesus. We need specifically to talk about his death, burial, and resurrection so that through that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We cannot stop talking about Jesus. The accusation is made a few chapters later in the book of Acts that these men have filled Jerusalem with their teaching. People of Paris, Texas needs to hear about Jesus from the Lamar Avenue Church of Christ. And that happens when each one of us talk more and more about Jesus. This New Testament church practiced baptism. They practiced baptism. And so when the question was asked, what shall we do? We know the commands that Peter gave, repent and be baptized. And we know the promises he associated with that. If you will repent and be baptized, God will forgive you of your sins and God will give you his spirit to dwell within you. Don't you know that was good news for people who had blood on their hands, who had a guilt in their heart that pierced them and pricked them to their conscience to the point they wanted to do whatever needed to be done to be right with God. Nobody questioned when Peter said you need to repent and be baptized. Now I know it's a phenomenal thing to think about 3,000 people being baptized in one day. I'm not worried about the logistics. If that's what happened, it happened. God saw to it that there was enough water and enough baptistries there were ceremonial baptistries all around the Temple Mound and 12 apostles and baptized someone and then they baptized someone and then they baptized. I mean, it just could be a chain reaction. I'm not worried about how 3,000 were baptized in one day. I rejoice in that. I'd like to see it happen again. Wouldn't you? I'd like to see one on a given Lord's Day be baptized into Christ. Maybe we're not talking enough about Jesus. Maybe we're not talking to our kids and our grandkids about what are you going to do about Jesus? How are you going to respond to Jesus? And here's another thing. If there were 300,000, let's just assume there may have been 300,000 in Jerusalem on this Pentecost. Everybody wasn't baptized. One out of 300 decided they would be baptized. That means... 299 people, for everyone that was baptized, walked away and said, I'm not doing that. I don't believe in Jesus, or I'm not ready. I don't know. But 3,000 were. That's a phenomenal thing. This church talked about baptism, and don't you know that was the headlines in the Jerusalem Gazette the next week? 3,000 people immersed into Christ Jesus on Pentecost. You keep reading as we did 
this New Testament church uh, encouraged committed lives. These people who were baptized, what are they going to do? We've got to nurture them. We've got to mature them. These are, as we would say from a New Testament perspective, babes in Christ. And so they continued steadfastly. They devoted themselves daily to the apostles' teaching, learning what needed to be learned that God wanted them to know. That's doctrine, folks. And I know that's kind of a bad word in our Christian world today, doctrine. Oh, uh, don't indoctrinate me. Don't indoctrinate my kids. Give them a chance to decide for themselves. Oh, my goodness. What if Peter had told these people, now that you've been baptized into Christ, you just figure it out for yourself? No, no. God gave them a message to keep teaching and to keep teaching. You baptize them, Jesus said, and after you baptize them, you teach them all things that I have taught you and teach them to observe them. Committed lives begin by understanding the proper doctrine of Scripture and what God expects of us. Doctrine has been tossed out of nearly every Protestant church in the world today. It makes no difference in many churches what you believe about anything. If you think I'm telling you a falsehood, look at what happened in a lot of our larger denominational churches about women's role, about marriage, about same-sex marriage. It's all up for grabs, folks, if you don't commit yourself to the apostles' doctrine, the teaching of the New Testament. This New Testament church was committed to prayer. They were committed to fellowship. They were committed to spending time together. And it was on a day-to-day -day basis. And the result was this New Testament church experienced daily growth. Daily growth. I don't know if that's going to happen in my lifetime. I don't know if we're going to see churches experiencing daily growth or not. I believe it can happen, but it will not happen if we keep our mouths shut about Jesus. It will not happen if we fail to commit ourselves to knowing God's will and teaching it to our next generation and the next generation. It will not happen because the statistics right now are indicating that all churches of any kind in America are shrinking. We're shrinking because people have ruled out faith. They've ruled out belief in God. They think that Jesus is just another person, a great philosopher, if they think anything at all about him. They think that church is old-fashioned. It has nothing to do with my life now, and who cares about what's going to happen tomorrow, much less eternity. I'm not trying to paint a negative picture, folks, but I believe it's the picture of the kind of world we're living in, and we've got to start talking more and more about Jesus. We've got to pull people into an understanding of who he was, why he came, and how we need him so desperately in our lives, not just for eternity, but to get along every day, to deal with family issues, to keep relationships strong, to help our world get back on an even keel of just good, honest, moral people 
dealing with one another day in and day out. When people get Jesus in their heart, people will quit shooting each other. People will quit killing each other. Nations will quit rising up against one another. And Jesus will become, as the Bible said he would be, the Prince of Peace. Well, I've covered everything I wanted to say, and I decided I'd try to say it all. But here's what I want to say about that. Everything I've said about this New Testament church in Jerusalem, I want to be a part of a church like that. And I want to be a part of it now. I don't want to have to wait until I get to heaven. I think heaven's going to be wonderful, and we're going to experience all those kind of blessings. We'll be in Christ, Mac, forever and ever. Amen? Amen. But I want to experience that kind of church right now in our time. I don't want to have to do a, a church sample test every other week or so to find out what's going on down that way and up that way and what's going on over here. I'm not looking for the latest trend in church anity. I want to get back to Christianity. I want to get back to the first century church in the 21st century world. And there are many of our friends and family members that, folks, if we could just talk to them just in a few minutes and talk to them about how simple Christianity is, how uncomplicated church can be, how joyful being a Christian is all about, and get over the politics and get over the various things that sometimes separate us and the opinions that get between us, and get that out of the way and keep our eyes focused on Jesus. I'll tell you, church will be a joy. Church will be a joy. And it will be something that we can enjoy and not have to put up with or endure. It will be something we'll be excited about. This church, it says they were, and everyone was feeling a sense of awe. And young folks, that's just another way of saying church was awesome. It was awesome. And when's the last Sunday you, walked, you went home from church saying that was awesome? God was doing great works through his people. He was working through the message. He was working through his church. He was working through his son Jesus. He was working through his Holy Spirit. And God has not died. He is still working through those same avenues today. I want church to be awesome. I want us to leave this place looking forward to coming back. I want us to get out there during the week and say, I can't wait to get back with my brothers and sisters in Christ and be the church as it was meant to be. God bless us to that end. Let's stand and sing.